0: A muckle welcome to the first of hopefully many episodes of Shared History Under the Kilt. It's a spin-off, baby! <laughs> With me, actor, writer and obvious Scott, Adam McNamara.
2: And me, Natalie Younger, in the role of dodgy American.
0: <laughs> Under the Kilt is uh, a Scottish history podcast where we'll delve deep into... Many a Highlanders spurring criminals' breeches, royals' trunks and merchants' coin pur- I have no idea where I'm going with this. That's okay, we have no idea where each episode will take us, so... That's true, that's true. But what we do know is we'll explore some of the less worn paths of Scottish history and discuss, and then we'll blether.
2: We're lining up some amazing, amazing guests. Actors and academics, writers and directors, producers and politicians
0: and more. All bringing a slice of Scottish history to share with us and with you. It's all very exciting and I've never said that about history, ever.
2: Don't lie, Adam.
0: (laughs) Fine. Uh, Natalie, shall we begin our journey through Scottish history?
2: After you, sir.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, Natalie. What's under the kilt today?
2: I got some uh, haggis? I got some haggis under the kilt. Is that right? Is that what we have? Nope. Oh.
0: Don't don't make me regret this.
2: <laughs> Too late.
0: <laughs> well, then you tell me. <laughs> okay, okay, I will tell you. Today, we have got... Well, she is an author, a screenwriter. She wrote uh, the Glasgow Kiss series of crime thrillers. Uh, the Stranger for Storytel she has just launched a new project a time travel fantasy set in Glasgow which I am sure we'll find more about and um, the book's going to be out later in the summer and you can get it on our website which I'm sure we will share with anyone who's listening and interested we have got Claire Duffy with us
3: hello thank you for having me
0: thank you for joining us yes thank you for that thank you
2: for that applause fully Adam it was a <laughs> I appreciated
3: it. I needed it, to be honest.
2: I'm quite excited.
3: (laughs) Do you know, actually, I should probably mention, this has got nothing to do with Scottish history, but I write under... Cool (laughs) I did warn you I was going to talk about a lot of things that would not include Scottish history. Um, But I, I mean, you know me as Claire Duffy, but I actually write under C.S. Duffy for the very good reason that when I very first started publishing, um, I discovered there was a Claire Duffy who was already published and who writes... Incest porn, which my okay. granny found and read, <laughs> thinking it was me. And
0: she's like, "It's oh, an interesting. Who uh... are you?" Yeah. <laughs>
3: uh, exactly. And in fact, several elderly relatives—it it's all come through the grapevine now and then. Oh, we read Claire's other <laughs> books. Um, we oh, weren't yeah. quite sure what to think, so now I'm like CS Duffy, CS. <laughs> Duffy is what I write
2: under. <laughs> I was curious why you wrote under that. And I, the reason is more than I could have ever <laughs> hoped for.
3: Right. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, Claire Duffy is such a common name. It's a really Irish name. There's thousands of us. There is actually a playwright that we get. I've started just accepting congratulations for her work all the time because we get confused so there are loads of us but the one that and it was actually even um on goodreads they connected our books together because they couldn't tell the difference between the two claire duffies and like mm-hmm. and i read one of hers and bless her cotton socks it's like a thank it's, it's, she's american and it's like this thanksgiving dinner for all the siblings are like checking each other out and i'm like you know what good for you but yeah definitely my my gran was quite concerned so. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> made for a very interesting christmas
3: <laughs> exactly exactly
2: what a start! <laughs> uh i am a big old nerd and i may or may not have pre-ordered your book today so
3: you oh, love yes. me now <laughs> well then you are officially my favorite person so
2: thank
3: you very much
0: <laughs> god you're such a swat nut yeah i don't
2: know what that means but i'll take it (laughs) the i love i hope that there's a lot of just um this podcast is going to turn into me just being lost in references i don't get or making references it occurred to me that there are a lot of shows that haven't necessarily like made their way back and forth across the pond yet so i'll just have to not make constant pop culture references
0: Well, it's going to be an interesting journey, whatever happens. It's not about
2: me, though, Claire. (laughs) Is it, though? I mean, kind of. Uh, Claire, how would you describe your preferred genre of writing? I know that your new one is a time travel fantasy.
3: Well, um, do you know, I'm actually kind of figuring that out. This is really new for me, so it's a little bit, yeah, wildly out of my comfort zone. I've written crime thrillers my whole career pretty much um both on screen and and that was like my first set of books adam is not allowed to um read any of them because the police procedure is all absolutely horrific so um <laughs> so that's kind of that's what i've always done i don't know i'm just interested in murder i guess um and and i love that and i mean i suppose beyond just crime they tend to be kind of funny they tend to have like you know female characters at the the forefront and um, so I guess there's like other things that makes it sort of my genre a little bit and this latest book honestly I don't even know where it came from I've been just sort of thinking about like I am as you're probably going to figure out by the end of this a massive history geek I love history and I'm hugely geeky about it and um, and when yeah. I, I moved home to Glasgow so I actually moved away when I was eight I've got a really mixed up accent I grew up in the states So actually if I talk, my my accent will like drift over to American at some point, it's like, if I talk about high school, then I start going like this. Um, And then I moved (laughs) back to Glasgow in my late thirties. I've been living in Sweden for a decade. And I just ran, I was like, I was kind of sick of, not sick of Sweden, but I'd had enough and um, couldn't think of where to go next. I was like, I could go back to London. My family all live there now. I was there for a long time. And then I thought, I'm gonna go and live in Glasgow. And I don't even really know where the idea came from. My parents were like, "What? People don't move back to you move away from Glasgow for you do?" It. And I was like, "No, no, no! It's going to be great. I'm going I'm going to move to Glasgow." So I did, and it's been four years now, and it's been this really kind of fascinating journey, I suppose, like rediscovering my city, and then also kind of like my own history a little bit as well. And I kind of think that's what this book is about more than anything. Um, so it does have murder in it because it wouldn't be mine if it didn't. People will always die and people will very badly investigate. And, um, but, yeah, it's a little bit – I mean, I wouldn't say it's, like, the story of Glasgow or anything. That's like a little bit too much. But I've, I've really enjoyed kind of, like, geeking out on um, stories that I grew up on and finding out how they actually relate to real history and, um, yeah.
0: Excellent. So, you originally you were born you were born here then in Glasgow.
3: I was yes I yeah. was actually weirdly I have just moved back to to about a hundred meters from the apartment I lived in with my parents when I was born, which is oh. and this is this is actually how little I knew the city when I bought it I had no idea how close it was until my mum Google mapped it to see where I lived and she was like Claire go across the road, go up that hill turn around the corner. That's where you were born. And I was like, Really? Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So I'm this really weird, like undercover Tracted. immigrant sometimes. Yeah, it's it's an it's a kind of it's a nuts thing. Because all my life, because I was eight when I moved away, and I've always slightly had this accent, like it drifts around. Um, but wherever I've lived, whether it's been London, the States, I went to film school in Vancouver, and the minute I open my mouth, people will kinda say, Oh, you're not from here. Where are you from? And that's I never really thought about the fact that was actually kind of part of my identity in a way. But yeah. when I move back here, when I especially when I talk to other Scottish people, Max, it just comes back with a vengeance. So it's this bizarre thing where I had to find my way around the city, but I can't ask for directions sounding like this because people will be like, well, why don't you know where that is. So I'm like this really weird sort of like undercover. Just walking
0: about Glasgow, lost. Just
3: lost. Where is I it? Like, I actually once tight back when, so when I was flat hunting, so I hadn't even properly moved up here, I had booked to go to Loughlomond and do um, go paddle boarding. It was like super early one Saturday morning. And of course I didn't know where it was. I didn't know where it was in relation to where I was staying or, you know, so I'd like worked it all out because I had a Swedish phone at the time. So I had to like memorize the directions rather than go on like Google maps and figure out the way to the station. And um, so I was walking there and I couldn't find the station because Partick Station station where I was looking for is slightly sort of set back off the road. But if you look at the map, it looks like it's right on the road. So I couldn't find it, I'm walking around. And also I had put my wetsuit on because I wasn't sure whether or not I would be able to get changed before getting into the water and I do have it's like a thin wetsuit that like the trousers look like running you know trousers and I had a hoodie over it but then I I was so flustered that I got hot so I took my hoodie off so I'm running around in a wetsuit and I approached this elderly couple and was like do you know where Partick is and the two of them just gave me this filthy look and kept walking and I was like how did, and it wasn't until they were walking away, I heard this wee old man say to the women, oh, did you see this day of that lassie? I don't know what she was taking. They thought I was high. They thought I was like, because it was like eight o'clock Saturday morning, I'm in a wetsuit running around Partick, asking where Partick is. So yeah, <laughs> that's where my accent does come into a bit of a problem.
2: If you ever see Claire on the streets of Glasgow, call help, she is lost. Yeah. Help her! <laughs>
3: But she is not necessarily on drugs. She may sound like it, but it's only a maybe.
0: Um, oh, just a tiny segue, and just in case MD is wondering why I was being kind of uh, cited as not reading your stuff because of the criminal procedure, as um, I used to be a police officer before I became an actor. Just in case everyone's like what why 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 is Adam so picky <laughs> yeah.
2: no it's just something that you know a lot about for no reason you got really into it in your teens mm-hmm. yeah he
3: just has very high standards for crime fiction. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're like when you before you
0: came on the show and you've, you you well, you know what it's about you're going you to come on we don't know by the way we don't know what you're going to talk about which is quite exciting mm-hmm. so um Nat and I are like what do you think is going to be but um is there anything in, in that you've kind of discovered about Glasgow maybe since coming back and you've been all over the place haven't you so is there anything that you found out historically about Glasgow that you thought hmm that's a bit interesting
3: oh millions of things um and actually I think that Glasgow full stop isn't particularly well-known, particularly outside of the UK, which is something I've got a little bit of a passion about, mm-hmm. particularly because like I grew up in the States um, and I think that in outside of the UK and particularly in America, and it's not, you know, this it's not a negative thing necessarily, but most people, when they think of Scotland, they think of like bagpipes and hills and mountains and tartan yeah. and all that kind of thing, which is all fine, it's all true, it all exists. But it's a bit of a weird thing when you come from Glasgow and you're sitting there going, that's got nothing to do with where <laughs> I'm from. Um, and yeah. so I do have like actually a little bit of a passion about just talking about Glasgow, like when I started um, school in the States when I was sixth grade, first day like homeroom, my homeroom teacher introduced me to the class. She was like, this is Claire. She moved from Scotland. She's just learning English because she speaks a language called Gaelic. And I'm sitting there 10 years old going, what? Like now I'd go, oh no, you're mistaken. I, I've spoken English my whole life. But at 10, when a teacher is saying, this is Claire. she speaks Gaelic. I'm going, do I? What? Are you speaking Gaelic? Am I? Do, what? And then she's like, and her dad wears this special skirt called a kilt. And I'm going, does he? <laughs> i never like...
0: What, who's dad?
3: Well, exactly, I was like, I could have sworn he was in a suit when he went to work this morning, but what do I know? <laughs> so, and particularly I think I mean, obviously, that was thirty years ago, um, and I think now there's been a bit more of a sort of like merging of all the Scottish cultures. But at that point, like when I was a wee girl, you would get beat up in Glasgow for wearing a kilt. Like that whole culture just was like geeks that sort of had nothing to do with us. So ever since then, I've had like yeah, a little bit of a a passion about just I don't know introducing Glasgow to um, <laughs> the the world or whoever will listen to me. But I mean, as in terms of like specific stories, I mean, there's so many I could go on forever, but one of my favorites I came across, and this isn't entirely specifically Glasgow, but it is relevant. So as I mentioned, I lived in Stockholm for about a decade and um, I learned Swedish after I moved there, which is not the ideal way around (laughs) to do it as I discovered at the time, but anyway. The more Swedish I learned, the more I discovered how many words and phrases that I just thought of as, like, things my granny said, like, really, I mean, some of them are kind of general Scottish, some of them are quite specific, um, Mm. Glaswegian, that come from Scandinavian. Yeah. So, um, you know, bra, for example, bra means good over there, and like barn is a child, um, but like fluta means to move. And my granny used to talk about oh when, when you're flitting, are you doing yeah. a flit? Oh, you're flitting from here to here, which doesn't really make sense in English. And I don't know anyone outside of Glasgow that says it, but it obviously comes from the Scandinavian flita means to yeah. move, or like uh, duke means to jump and like to dive into water. Like there's so That's many, right. and it got me really fascinated because. Even though I had been to like primary school in Scotland, I never remember hearing about Vikings being in Scotland. I felt like we learned about them being in like York in England and yeah. maybe Iona, like a little bit. But actually Vikings ran like Dumbarton and Govan for about 300 years. So mm. we have this like huge connection with Scandinavia in the west coast of Scotland that I didn't know about until I moved to Scandinavia. And I kept on thinking, people here seem familiar like there was just this i mean like they were taller and significantly more attractive than any of yeah. us but I mean, they all
0: look like supermodels
3: <laughs> they do i remember actually once describing stockholm as like glasgow with attractive people <laughs> so, <laughs> which weirdly whenever i say in front of glaswegians they're about like wait what?" Huh, huh and yeah. i'm like you need to like they are like supermodels but there are certain things that i just i mean like meatballs and potatoes i mean it's mince and tatties just in ball form yeah. so like, there's so many like deconstructed little, <laughs> totally we have deconstructed meatballs is <laughs> like our natural dish um, and it was really interesting having moved there from london there was a lot of things that i actually found more familiar in a lot of ways and um, which i had never known or really given any thought to before
2: mm-hmm. I remember the first time that I kind of like put together that there were Vikings in Scotland was because wasn't it I think wasn't it that that was basically the first time that the that the Celts like joined forces in any meaningful way with the Romans and or accepted any help was because was it was like, all right, well, we hate each other, but we hate these guys more. So
3: (laughs) there was yeah. So at that point, and this is definitely no, not like an area of expertise at all, but there was yeah, there was a lot of like kind of small kingdoms around scotland which i mean and around england as well like they all kind of joined together and got bigger and bigger um and yes yeah, so there was two particular so there was a kingdom called and I ne- i'm not going to say it right so i probably shouldn't actually say because anyone's scottish listening but like dalriata Dal- do you know where i mean by that adam so,
0: no. It's basically
3: where our Ar- and butte is now okay. and that is people from ireland had come over so there was like that celtic tribe and then you had a kingdom called alt clut which is basically what Strathclyde is now, which is where Glasgow is, um, and yeah, they were at war for decades, centuries, and then yeah, when the Vikings came over, and th- okay, this is one of my favourite stories. It's not strictly Glasgow, but close enough. So the Vikings were d- so Dumbarton was like the sort of capital of this Alt Clut, which became Strathclyde, um, and it's really so that's on Dumbarton Rock, which is a fort, which you know you can still go and visit that. That's um, really really well defended the only way to get to it is that you sail so the clyde opens out into the irish sea so you sail up the clyde and then up a smaller town it's a river called the river Leven, and you approach dumbarton and they would try and attack and every time they would just be repelled because the the forces of dumbarton were really good at what they did so they were chucked back a couple of times back into the clyde and they went hold on a minute and they sailed up. So there's, well, it's a bit tricky um, to try and describe without using hands, but there's another loch which um, attaches, which flows out directly into the clay called Loch Long. So you can sail all the way up Loch Long, and then there's a point where Loch Long and Loch Lomond um, are only about, I don't know, five miles or something, not even that, where they're almost connected at two little towns called Araher and Tarbet. But there's a big mountain in between, or a pretty big mountain. These Vikings sailed up to the top of Loch Long, they took their boats out at Araher, they carried them over the mountains to Tarbet, into Loch Lomond, came down, attacked Dumbarton Castle from behind, and that's how they won. And I quite like that.
2: It's a hell of a portage five miles up a mountain.
3: It really is. Like I've actually done part of it with like a little backpack, and I was like, "I'm done. That's enough." (laughs) Like trying to picture carrying a ship on my head, I'm like, "Who are they?" Like frankly, they they deserved Dumbarton at that point. I would say
2: they they put in the work. I I need to correct myself. It wasn't it wasn't that that was when the when uh like Scottish tribes and the Romans got along. That's when the Picts Picts and Gaels stopped fighting for a minute. To exactly
3: yeah the, which is a, the... yeah, a little bit after the Romans although there apparently I've just been reading recently that apparently there were still some Roman people like random people who did stay for quite a long time exactly. oh that's another thing that I recently discovered about Glasgow did you know that York Hill which is a little hill in the middle of Glasgow there's a children's hospital there now was yeah. a Roman fort
0: no I never I never
3: knew that and Rutherglen was a big um uh, Roman like center apparently there's rather there's like a Roman baths and apparently this is why we're doing
0: this podcast claire
3: I know. This why it's we're doing brilliant, it isn't it well the best bit about that is that there's apparently a ghost of a centurion who lives in a flat above some little shop on rutherglen high street with you've this lost little me, old claire, lady lost me. <laughs> <laughs> i read about this i'm totally obsessed with it but the best bit is because there used to be a hill so obviously the, the, her flat is like a story you know like above the shop
1: uh-huh. um
3: but he walks on ground which is like above where the ground is today but below the first story where her flat is so she can only ever see his like head and shoulders and apparently i think she's still alive but it was it's certainly like a well-known story like the 80s and 90s that she just <laughs> lives with this century I'm nice. going to, for my own
2: imagination, um, and also just to out my further nerddom. I'm in my head imagining that that Centurion is Arthur Darville as mm-hmm. Rory mm-hmm. from Doctor oh, Who. Yes.
3: I tell you, if like, he is, I am moving to Rutherford.
2: Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's
3: go. She won't mind. We'll just be like, hi.
2: Attractive Centurion ghosts only, please. Thank you. Yeah. It's in my, it's in my contract. That-
3: yeah, I don't even know why I can't put that into my like Tinder searching for attractive centurion code.
2: <laughs> Should try, see what it
3: turns out. I might do actually, yeah.
2: <laughs> and that's what? how Claire was kidnapped and murdered by a le- <laughs> dressed a up new, like a centurion.
0: The new book by C. S. Duffy.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> if she survives to write it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, as soon as I start Centurion, I'm like, Rory.
0: Guys, can I can I wade into this loving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just going to talk about
2: attractive yeah. actors.
0: But I guess yes. you can weigh in, Adam. <laughs> Why are you here? What is the topic that you have come to enlighten us all with?
3: I have like three, um, but okay. they're kind of under an umbrella I want to talk about the amazing women of Glasgow Mm -hmm. because we have a lot of them. Um, And that is, you know, as I mentioned before, one of my kind of passions is talking about Glaswegian history, full stop. Um, But I'm also very fascinated with women's history and, and also, and I guess more generally, history that isn't necessarily what we learned at school um because i've just i've been reading about this quite recently i never fully appreciated how much of the history that we all know and i'm talking about the world history everywhere was written for us by english victorian men Mm -hmm. and therefore has all of their biases and all of their patriarchy and their racism and whatnot um so like for example um bridgerton which you know is brilliant for so many reasons and um, but one of which is it's just fantastic how gloriously diverse it is in the casting and it's which is brilliant Um, and of course there was a little bit of a backlash when that came out everyone going well that's so unrealistic that would never ever have happened but yeah. here's the thing it it did it <laughs> could have like britain has been multicultural since roman times 2000 yeah. years ago so and i have a little bit of an obsession with this also particularly um to do with women's history, because I feel as though we're always told, oh, well, here here we are of all these great men who are like explorers and uh, writers and warriors and whatnot. And there's one or two exceptional women, but they're very much the exception to the the rule. And don't don't anyone think that you could ever like be like them because the vast majority of of women were, you know, servitudes and um, little autonomy and so on. And I I wouldn't want to sort of like diminish that idea because obviously life has been tougher for everyone other than, you know, upper-class English men for many, many history, for many, many centuries, sorry. But I'm really fascinated with the idea that there are so many more extraordinary women that we just never, ever get told about. And there's also women who, they're pretty standard people. They're not even necessarily extraordinary, but did like amazing things. And Scottish history in particular is hoaching with them like yeah. there are so many and i don't know if it's just cuz i read a little bit more scottish history i'm sure they exist all over the place
1: yeah.
3: but um but i do think there's something really fascinating and really ex- inspiring as well that you know scotland has been arguably more of a matriarchy like a lot more recently than many other like western countries
0: well yeah well that's like the when when the when i was investigating and researching the tv show that i was uh, that i am writing the first about the first police force it, it it was it was really astounding at the um, the matriarchal setup in Glasgow. Everyone was like, "Oh gosh," I mean, Victorian Glasgow is really rough, and you're like, "Yeah," and it was run by women essentially. Do you know, like, totally. uh, uh, the the characters are phen- like the women were phenomenal,
3: and it's oh, like when absolutely. you find all this out, you're like,
0: "Why why weren't we taught this? This is really interesting."
3: Well, exactly, and I find it really worrying that we're not taught it because I feel as though. So many of us tend to think of history and um, like, like progress in terms of, you know, becoming more tolerant, becoming more like you know, socially fair and so on, as linear, as though we started off at this really, you know, dark, conservative sort of place. And then all of the progress that we would have made maybe in the last hundred years is this like brand new experimental thing. And yeah. it is so not. And I think that is, um, I, think I just think it's such an important thing to talk about.
2: Yeah, that like the progress the progress that we've made recently is nothing compared to how much we initially in some cultures regressed.
3: Well, when, exactly when yeah. the
2: English came in, or like just mm-hmm. colonization in general taking ma- like matriarchal uh, tribes in in like Africa and like South America, and then being like, no, no, but white men, and you don't have power anymore. That we had to, we exactly. went backwards a long way, so it's we're still. In, in a lot of regards, catching up to some ideas that were totally commonplace centuries ago.
0: Yeah, and it's like what you said, Claire, with regards to the internationalism of Glasgow back in the day. Like, again, it's like when when people think of the history, they think of white history. Like, they mm-hmm. don't think of anyone, uh, uh, any person of colour who was there in Glasgow in, you know, like the the, the Victorian times. But then you, you've got to, uh, you know, admit that Back then, there was boats from everywhere, like ships, like trade coming, pouring mm-hmm. into Glasgow because Glasgow was going to be, everyone I heard knew about it, it was going to be the, the next big city of the empire. So people were just pouring in. I'm sure in one year, Glasgow's population exploded by about, I think it's something like 600,000 people just, I mean, there was a lot of Irish and mm-hmm. lots of different nationalities just descended on Glasgow. So it's it's really it's it's folly to think that it's just white, you know.
3: Exactly. In fact, one of my favourite stories about Glasgow. Now, now this is obviously in no way to diminish that you know, racism is absolutely a thing in this city, in this country. Um, however, Glasgow is completely um, unique in. Well, I'm saying the Western world. That's such a you know, kind of rubbish term, but. It's the only one I can think of right now, Um, but it's unique in that in I think it's the turn of the 20th century, there was this huge influx of Indian and Pakistani immigrants, um, I guess, coming from was part of the empire at that point. And they became a higher social class than the white Glaswegian natives, because Glaswegians generally are working class. You know, we're shipbuilders, we're welders, we're um, building various things. Um, And these Indian and Pakistanis arrived and they opened restaurants and they opened shops and they became uh, like the the clippies that they took tickets on the um, on the trams, which were like brand new at that point. And so they basically became like the merchant class like the middle class. And that is totally unique. You know, usually you have darker skinned immigrants coming in and becoming a sort of a, a, a lower working class and glasgow is the only place that we were like oh no they've they got shops they've got restaurants you know <laughs> which is also why we have some of the best indian foods in in europe i have a friend from mumbai who the only place she will eat indian food outside of india is glasgow
0: rubber stamp. <laughs> exactly
3: <laughs> exactly but it was women that i was going to talk about more specifically so there's three in particular um, I mean there's I'll probably think of like 20 more once I get going so the first one it's a really quick story because there's not very not very much is known about her but I just love her so um, I have to mention her right her name was Big Rachel and uh, she lived at sort of towards the end of the Victorian times around I think the 1880s give or take she was Irish originally she was six foot four she worked in the Jordan Hill uh, brickworks she was married Um, and then later the Partick shipyards and she was famous for any, now if you picture she's six foot four, Glaswegian men are quite wee men in general um, and she was famous for any man that annoyed her she would just pick him up and fling him in the Clyde and that's basically all that's known about her and I love her.
0: Claire, (laughs) I want to add to this story because she's in my pilot episode of the (gasps) first.
3: she, is. Like, she became a, a special constable, didn't she? Yeah,
0: yeah, she got sworn in.
3: that's I mean, I just remember that's like the that final other sentence that you know that yeah she like a volunteer constable or something.
0: Yeah, there was riots. Mm-hmm. There was because there was riots in Glasgow all the time back then, and mm-hmm. the police just went about swearing people in as special constables, mm-hmm. and she was one of them. They're like, um, you're big. She... We can use your help. <laughs>
3: Oh, well exactly because apparently she did there, there's all these stories of yes yeah, so-and-so get flung into the Clyde again because he got in. and I think particularly during that there was this the, the riot and um that was in the shipyard wasn't it yeah and she just walked through this you know men rioting just picking one up after the other yeah. and flinging them in the water which because the average
0: just... height of the ma- the average height of a Glasgow man at that time I think it was something like five foot five. That was the average height, but the the closer you got to the coasts and, and on the Highland areas, uh, mm-hmm. diets were better, the environment was better, so uh, growth was better. <laughs> so um, a lot of a lot of the first police force were recruited from the Highlands, um, oh, wow. so they were taller. So then again, so like Rachel was like she was really rare, <laughs> and, uh, at that time height wise, because uh, every man mm. was like tiny in comparison.
3: Well, I mean, she's quite rare for a woman now. And have you seen the photograph of her? She's sitting smoking a pipe. Yeah, there's this like photograph that exists of her, and she's just glorious. She's sitting with you know the shawl and like you know the long Victorian dress, and she's got this pipe, and she's just looking at the camera like and. (laughs) <laughs> like, can i help you and i'm just like i have the biggest girl crush she is she's incredible
2: i'm just imagining rioters trying to like tackle her or like get right get in her way and just her putting her hand out on like their head and holding them back while they just whiff with their arms <laughs> wildly at
0: her
3: oh totally and like one hand while she still has her yeah, well, she's in still the other one
0: i <laughs> <laughs> just buff away get back mate Get oh my oh, god
3: she's just so incredible but do you know what really depressing um other thing on the, the height issue did you know that the tall like um jeans of the highlands it's all scandinavian and like really? it's like the one hot stereotype that we have like your big ginger highlander it's actually swedish <laughs> it's so depressing because <laughs> like celtic people are like wee dark people and that's weird generally the people of glasgow but in the highlands and the borders there is. You know, there is clearly quite a lot of Viking sperm going around. So um, yeah. that's why. So, so,
0: yeah, I've heard that.
2: <laughs> There's probably a lot of raping and pillaging comes at the territory. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
3: it's not all. There's a couple of actually really depressing um, like genetic studies that they've done in some of the Western Isles where they found that all the Scandinavian genes have all come from men, which sort of, and they've actually completely stamped out the male Scottish genes. Which wow. kind of suggests that they just killed all the men and raped all the women, um. So it's not i you know ideal, but we do have some hot Scottish people, so you know.
0: Yeah. So we'll do, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, to...
3: Adam, you're a giant.
2: Um, are do you have Scandinavian blood?
0: I have no idea. I've never even done uh, one of those tests. We have to get you, know, you like... on. Who do you think you are? We have oh, to. I'd yeah. love. That's one of my fe. Fa- I'd love to go on that. You know, I spoke to my gran once, right? Now, obviously I've got Irish uh, connections and I said to my gran one day, I went, you know gran, I'd love to go on that program. You know, like, who do you think you are? And she just like really calmly. She was just sitting, taking her tea and she just went, I don't think it's a good idea. And I was <laughs> like, well, why? She's like, no, just, just leave that. <laughs> and now I'm just like, no, I need to. <laughs> oh,
2: leave the past in the past. Mm -hmm. except for the fact that that's all we do on this podcast is dig it up
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah totally totally.
3: but you should definitely do one of those like genetic you know the the, what is it where you let you do a scraping of your the inside of your 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 mouth and send it off and yeah because i bet because you're dundee aren't you so that's all Viking A territory
0: yeah Uh, well i mean we'll see you know what i've been waiting to do it i just keep on Mm. But I did read a book once from a, a, a guy called uh, Dr. Adam Rutherford, and he said that those oh, okay. tests are very ballpark. <laughs> like, they're not, mm-hmm. preci- they're not exactly precise. Even I'm But I'll give you a kind effect. of rough flavor. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Let's hit pause for a quick second to play everyone's new favorite game, Talking Scots. Because, you know, the show is all about learning, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. And our producer, Kathleen, is going to join us for this. Hello. Hi. There we go. We're, we're going to fully immerse ourselves in the language of Scots, one word at a time, <laughs> a.k.a. Claire, our lovely guest, will give us a word, and we will it, a.k.a. blindly guess its meaning. Now, let's start talking Scots. Claire, what is
3: our word of the day? Okay, the word I'm thinking of is "laldi," as in "give it laldi."
2: I love that there are dark L's loud-y. in that. Yeah, laldi. Give you you used it in a sentence already. The sentence was "give it laldi."
3: Yeah, or they were given it laldi. Uh, so giving it hell, their
2: best shot. <laughs> like me, right now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> i'd say kathleen was really closer
2: oh <gasps> um yeah. let me right. see, hold on. like giving it giving him given a hard them time, time giving it hell yeah. giving them just colder no, okay so giving <laughs> it hell somehow was closer
0: yeah like giving it hell as in like you were giving it your all you were giving it yeah,
3: yeah. when we used to go to the, <gasps> the barrel and ballrooms so you just give it loudly on the dance floor like oh your, yeah just go oh, full out yeah yes. fall out, yeah full steam ahead
0: there you I go love that loudy equals full out
2: what's important in this when we are keeping score which i'm keeping score is that i i, I got that one and natalie and did that's the end of this episode <laughs> of talking scar <laughs> um
0: so claire big okay.
3: rachel
0: big big Rach. Rach.
3: Very great. Which? So was... and, 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 and
0: people need to know. Wait, I did not know you were going to talk about her. No. And that's mad.
3: It's... I didn't know that. She... I'm trying to think. I've read your pilot. And yeah. I don't even remember making the connection at the time. Because, yeah, she's just, she's just, she's awesome. So, well, in that case, you maybe will have heard. I'm trying to think now which um, order will I do. So the next one I want to talk was Maggie MacGyver. Do you know who she is, Adam? No.
0: She's the well, queen of the Barras all right okay
3: so i she's another who i love she was a working class woman she's like she was from ayrshire originally actually her dad was a policeman um and she moved so he got transferred to work in the east end of glasgow again i think it was towards the end of the victorian era so i I feeling she was born sort of 1840s kind of thing so sort of yeah the sort of middle um of the 1800s when they moved where most of the uk was in you know, it was a poverty was rife you know this sort of the end of the, the the american colonies had taken a huge hit and crime was huge which is of course what your um, show is all about which is amazing so she moved to the east end of Glasgow, and when she was about 14 or 15 one day one of her friends asked her to watch her their barrel where they were like selling sort of, fruit and vegetables for like the afternoon or something while they went and yeah. did something. And she was just told to like keep an eye on it. And she was like, sure, no problem. she had already left school by that point and she was working as a, I think a polisher, like in in service, polishing sort of silverware and things like that. Because of course, most particularly girls left school at you know, sort of 12, 13 at that point.
1: Yeah. So
3: she left school, so she spent this afternoon and she started selling stuff. She was only told to keep an eye on the barrel, but she was just, you know, personality, love chatting to people sold every bit of fruit and veg that this pal had, they were like, wow, you're amazing. And she thought, oh, this is a lot more fun than polishing silverware. So she managed to get hold of a barrel for herself, because of course, this is long before there was anything that we would recognise like a shop, the only place that um, working class people could buy anything was off these like carts just sort of in the street. So she went and got her own um, and they met her husband, who was also, I think, a fruit and veg seller. And this is one of the things I love about the story, because they just seem to be such a team. They they work together throughout their whole lives. And I think, again, so often when we talk about extraordinary women of history, they're almost always unmarried and they're childless.
2: Yeah, you have to Um, make them sexless in order to for them to succeed according to history
3: exactly and and to some extent i guess there's a practicality thing there you know in those days if you're going to have so many children that's going to be your full-time job Um, so i get that but i love when you see these exceptions to women i mean she had nine children and she worked with her husband and she worked every day of her life and i kind of love that so the two of them they just seem to have such a fascinating entrepreneurial spirit which again I've, i've I really associate that with Glasgow, like everyone I know, know, like maybe cousins or friends, like mums who are staying home, they've all got like a little side business, like it's such it's we're a real city of hustlers. And, and I feel that Maggie MacIver really, really um, embodies that. Because within a few months, they had like, three stalls, and then they started buying other barrels that they would then rent out to people. And so they would then get a sort of more like passive income. And now this is something, when I read this, it's one of these things that it just kind of like blew my mind a little bit because I guess we take shops for granted. But in those days, because there weren't shops, the only way that working class people could buy clothes was also off a barrel like this. And in Glasgow, it rains a lot. So she noticed how the people who, like the women generally, who made clothes and sold them, they would be like, you know, on their barrel selling for like 12 hours a day. And then they would have to go to what we call the steamy, which is like, a, like a laundromat, basically. But of course, in those days, it was all hand and everything. And they would have to spend the whole evening there washing and drying all the clothes that had got soaked, while they were trying to sell them throughout the day. So these women were working, you know, 18, 19, 20 hour days, because they had no means of covering what they were selling. So she went, Oh, I'm going to invent a covered market. So she and her husband went and bought this plot of land, which is where this market is still today, just off the Gallagate in the east end of Glasgow. And then there's another little like random tangent to this because the it was a woman who owned this plot of land. Her name was Marion Gilchrist. And she was this really, really wealthy, she lived in the West End, elderly, wealthy lady, who I think she had married and she had been widowed quite young. She was murdered and it's still unsolved who officially who actually killed her it's mm-hmm. all i think most people tend to think it was one of her nephews who she'd just written out of her will but a man named oscar slater was wrongly um accused of her murder he spent 18 years in prison uh, and i think was like at least once sentenced to hanging and was like basically had the had the you know the noose around his neck when there was a last minute reprieve, I think it's called. Yeah. He was eventually um, released in the late 20s and uh, the conviction was totally overturned. And so it's still an unsolved mystery, which has nothing to do with Maggie MacIver. But it's just fascinating that this woman, this murder victim, actually owned this plot of land. And uh, so she or was her estate at the time, because I, uh, I think she was already murdered by the time Maggie and her husband um, went to buy it. So they bought it, and it took them six years that they and their friends personally, like, um, leveled off and concreted it and built a um, built a roof, and that became uh, the Barra's Market, which still exists today. It's so that's um, I think a hundred years, just under a hundred years, it's been going.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and after they'd been running it for I think about five years, because another thing that she did with all of the like stallholders came to the market, is that she created a real community. Which, you know like these days we all have you know like wellness team building office days out but at that point that was completely unheard of but she ran these dances for all of the um the stall holders like i don't know every few weeks or months for them all to meet and network and have a bit of time off and just sort of build this community and after a few years she realized that she could do it much more cheaply if she had her own dance hall because she would be renting a hall hiring a band and so on. So she built a dance hall next to her market, uh, which is called the Barrelins Ballroom, uh, which also still exists. It's a really famous music venue where like yeah. one of the Rolling Stones' first gigs was there. And that was opened just for these stallholders. I think it was opened in 1934. And uh, I think it's still run by the family, in fact, or at least it certainly was um, run by her descendants for quite a long time. Wow. And I believe she became a millionaire. Like she was extremely successful. Um, and it's just this awesome story. Because again, it was like she was this little, you know, working class woman. She had nine kids. Yeah. She kind of, she wasn't extraordinary, but she was,
1: Yeah. you know,
3: and that's one of the things I really love about her. You know, she, I don't think she was, you know, poetic or, but she just had this phenomenal, I don't know, spirit of survival and entrepreneurship. And, and I love the fact that, I mean, like, anybody in the UK probably has heard of the Barrowlands Ballroom like it's really really famous and it was only started because she thought she could like save 13p it used to um cost her (laughs) to rent a hall and she was like I'm not paying that I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna just build my own hall to save 13p and it's just it's glorious I love it
0: and it's the fact that she got asked just to look after a stall for the day
3: Exactly, And then
0: she realized, actually, this is great. And then yeah, it she's like, kind of I'm
2: kind of good at this. And also <laughs> I like it. Exactly. Yeah. And then just like thought more about it than probably like the average person working mm-hmm. at those stalls.
3: Well, exactly. And cared and more was...
2: about the women who were having to basically do two full-time jobs during the day.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's me. It's such this like gorgeous organic of somebody who just kept on seeing problems and solving them and then saw the next problem and then she solved it. And then, and just, and, and also, you know, like raised this family. I think she's got like 50 grandkids or like, it's it's just this gorgeous story that she's, um, she's pretty fabulous. And she was tiny as well. Like if she stood next to Rachel, Rachel would stand on her. She was like five <laughs> foot nothing, this like wee tiny Glasgow woman. Um, and apparently used to say that the Barrowlands was her legacy. She was like, that's how they'll remember me. They'll never forget maybe, as long as the Barrowlands is standing, and and it's true we've not.
0: And their family are still connected with the the Barlands.
3: I believe so. I mean, they definitely were for a really long time. Like I couldn't swear to the fact that they still are, um, just now, but um, but definitely for a long time, and very possibly until now. And weirdly, you because know, it it burned down in the late fifties, in the same year that she passed away, like a pure mad coincidence. And Spooky. then it was rebuilt in the early sixties, I think. It is also
2: haunted by Arthur Darville.
3: <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, the Barrowlands is haunted by some great people.
0: <laughs> is it? Is it?
3: <laughs> it is. <laughs> it totally is. I'll stroke
0: it... my chin. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was one of the most famous, like the American GIs used to talk about how it was like the best dance hall in Glasgow. Uh, I it is. My it's grandparents... the
0: acoustics. The acoustics are mm. phenomenal because like... Um, uh, Nat, when you and Kathleen come across on your, like, th- visit to Scotland, uh, uh, the Barlands has got this amazing roof that, like, cha- and the stage is at, like, one end of it, and it channels the music all the way up it and then writing them down. Like, the acoustics are uh, phenomenal in it. I saw Ice Cube there.
1: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Definitely a- an
0: act that you want there to be
2: top tier <laughs> really <acoustics>. Yeah. <laughs> so you can really hear all the instruments individually and how they blend together mm-hmm. all right all right
3: <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's a real like it's known as a real rite of passage i think for like british bands like you you, you haven't made it until you've played the violins one of my really good friends and i think possibly my coolest friend played it um supporting alice cooper in the late 90s how cool is that that is cool it's pretty cool
0: At the Barrowlands?
3: Yep. Alice Cooper played the (laughs) Barrowlands. And like Oasis, that was one of their first gigs. And I say The Stones. And I think 1964, they were like one of the first um, to play when it reopened after the fire. Nice. So it's a pretty phenomenal legacy. And then Ice Cube also. Yes.
0: Supported by the (laughs) Gravediggers with a Z.
3: Nice. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so it is, like, it's
3: such an institution and the idea that it all started off with this 14 year old girl um, thinking, I'm really good at selling apples, I'm just going to keep doing that. Is...
2: It's yeah. like, a it's a great kind of philosophy for life of like, you don't have to be, you don't have to be six foot four and able to throw a man into the Clyde, like you don't
3: have <laughs> oh. to be. This. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. But.
2: No, but like you don't you don't have to be large, literally larger than life or metaphorically larger than life. It's just about follow through. Because mm-hmm. I, maybe somebody else had been like, "Wow, wouldn't it be nice if there was like a covered marketplace?" Huh? And then they went around back along their day. But Maggie was like, "It would be nice.
3: I'm gonna make that happen." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and also like physically did a lot of it herself because there was some sort, I can't remember the exact details of it, but like builders, they're, they're either too expensive or they were going to take too long. And she just gathered all of her friends that she'd probably been helping out and doing favors to like her whole life. And they concreted it and they built this roof. Like it's just, it's and the other thing that I love about it is also it shows you, you don't need to necessarily have like the huge plan from day one. Like i doubt the day that you know she sold those apples in the barrel she was thinking and one day i'm gonna have this legendary music venue like she just did the next thing each time and yeah. i think quite often these days you know kids particularly what do you want to be when you grow up and you've got to come up with some like huge five dream year plan like, exactly <laughs> like sometimes you just need like a a two-day plan because mm. when you all you focus on is like your five and your 10 and your 50 year plans then you get so lost in what that is, um, and I think that's one things that I just I love about her—that she was just like, "I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna, and then you know she she became well, she became Maggie McIver, the Queen of the Barras. Yeah, saying.
0: but like, look, but and now we've got this like this legendary dance hall, right? Mm-hmm. And like that's because people allowed her to follow that path. Nowadays, exactly. it's like, what do you want to do? fill in these forms Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the next few years prove that you have
2: yeah prove that you have an insane amount of money or that you can (laughs) that will loan you an insane amount of money before you can even think about breaking ground on this idea Mm
3: -hmm. exactly yeah which is again it's part of that like that huge we we almost we think too big and then we can never actually get there Whereas I feel like sometimes these days we, and not necessarily us, but like the the opportunities out there are they're so prescribed to be so far down the line that it's quite yeah. hard to just go okay I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and I'm just going to find the cash for this amount and then by the time I get there then hopefully the next bit will come along and yeah. and so on so it's a good lesson I think in how to be like a proper entrepreneur. Yeah. And
0: yes and the third who's
3: also another female entrepreneur she's a little bit better known um but she's so fabulous you just you can't talk about the amazing women of glasgow without mentioning catherine cranson do you know who she is so she invented the concept of going out for a cup of tea and a bit of cake and chatting with a friend like there would be no starbucks right she's amazing (laughs) They were basically be no Starbucks without Kate Cranston. So she was born in George square in, or any uh, so other her, coffee shop or yeah. any other coffee shop. Yes, yeah, no, I'm not doing any stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But like that <laughs> whole thing that's just part of our daily lives now, um, was kind of invented in Glasgow by a woman. Um, so she, so she's from she born in uh, George square and, uh, her dad was a baker and he also seems like he was a bit of an entrepreneur himself he was uh, a baker and he did something else as well which i've forgotten and then he decided to open a hotel and like he'd never done that before and it's a hotel which it's number 39 george square and i keep on meaning to go and check what's there now because it's not a hotel anymore anyway she was born there um, and in her 20s, so she did marry. And this is one of the things, first things I love about her. She was married. Her husband was really supportive of her career. He became the provost, which is kind of like the mayor of a little town called Barhead, which is just south of Glasgow, but was totally supportive of what she did. And also she traded under Miss Cranston her entire working life even though they seem to be totally devoted to each other when he passed away in 1917 she retired just to mourn for the rest of her life so there's something really gorgeous about that That again it's not it's not either sexless or you know like a, a wife and mother like she she didn't have children but she seems to be this kind of like you know romantic wife that was in love with her husband and also ran for tea rooms so she started um I think her first one was in Argyle Street. She opened that in 1878. And so the concept of like kind of going out for like a sandwich did exist already, but it was a really, really male dominated, quite stark kind of working men grabbing a sandwich before they went back to work kind of thing. And she'd really deliberately created these tea rooms, which now quite worryingly, whenever you read about them, they always um, stress her standards of cleanliness. And I'm a little bit like, i wouldn't really want that to be remarkable but okay so they were clean and they were like pretty they were like girly and they were nice and they were safe there were rooms only for women and this was like the first time that women were able to go out and like socialize with friends obviously pubs were really male dominated uh and these sort of cafes and restaurants that existed at the time were also really male dominated women would always socialize at home having little like tea parties so she was very into this idea that like a group of women could go out and have like tea and cakes and hang out for the afternoon or a woman could sit by herself and read a book with a cup of tea which was totally revolutionary at the time so after her um tea shop in argyle street the next one was in Buchanan street then, Tucky Hall Street, where it still exists, is the Willow Tea Rooms.
0: Oh, I, I was about to say, is this the Willow Tea Rooms?
3: It's the Willow Tea Rooms, yeah, right, yeah. which is okay, actually wow. just a few years ago been refurbished back into the style that she created it. Um,
0: oh, wow.
3: And she was this incredible um, patron of the arts as well, so Charles Rennie McIntosh, who's probably the most famous Glaswegian artist, I have his rose tattooed on a part of my anatomy. Um, <laughs> which is less cool again now that I live in Glasgow again like it was one thing and I'd be like oh it's this guy called Charles Rennie Macintosh. and now if anyone comes across it I'm like yes yeah, it's, it's Charles Rennie Macintosh. anyway like I said I was gonna start yakking on about my life um so, so she um she sponsored Charles Rennie MacIntosh and his wife who was also a really prominent artist called Margaret McDonald they designed the tea rooms they had uh, Margaret McDonald was also worked as like a um like an Interior designer, what we'd call that today. Um, and another guy, George, somebody whose name is gonna fly right at my head. Basically, and then the the Glasgow Boys was this sort of movement of artists in the I think the turn of the twentieth century, and she was sort of like their patron. She encouraged them to come and like have tea, and it was this sort of almost like, you know, Parisian artsy like like a a salon but away from home. Exactly, but in Sucky Hall Street which is kind of in incredible so she also became super successful became uh, even though she retired in 1917 she still died a, a millionaire and because she'd had no children she donated almost her entire um estate to glasgow's poor oh, and goodness. she was also known for this really eccentric style like her entire life she dressed and you know like that's sort of the full victorian finery like if you picture um Uh, Maggie Smith's character in Downton Abbey so even in like the teens and the 20s where styles were much more like simple and modern she was like you know huge feathers hats you know like with massive brims huge bustles and corsets and and was known as being really eccentric she just like did her own thing danced the beat of her own drum and so many of both her male contemporaries and historians now describe her as like cantankerous and like grouchy and and like a difficult woman i'm like or she was just their boss yeah right yeah she just so never it,
2: took any shite you just uh, do not like exactly. a woman being wealthier than you and in charge
3: uh, exactly <laughs> yeah. and she was surrounded by all these like artists like you know i mean Charles mm-hmm. J. McIntosh was a bit of a drinker i'm pretty sure he would have like shown up and and he, she you know gave him his marching orders. Um, so yeah. yeah, she was a brilliant, difficult woman who um, did amazing stuff. And every time we go out for a cup of tea now, we've got Kate Cranston to thank. <laughs> they're the afternoon teas at the Willow Tea Room. Like it's one of these things if you've got friends coming to visit, like you just, the scones are too, well, they're worth coming to Glasgow for.
0: Yeah. Someplace else you can visit, Nat.
3: There you go. Add it to the list.
0: I'm gonna have to like spend a month.
3: Oh, at least. Another
2: quick pause. Um, the only reason I agreed to do this podcast was to help me with my Scottish accent which um, we're starting at we're starting at zero. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest we're starting at zero but to to help me do that every couple episodes we might check in and see how my Scottish accent is going.
0: So, yeah Is that the only reason you're here? It's the only reason I'm here.
2: <laughs> That's it. I just really wanted to add that special skill to the bottom of my resume.
0: Well, hey, you know what I mean. Like, I mean, if if, if your agent is looking for someone who can do a Scottish accent, they can look elsewhere.
2: <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I was gonna say it's more of just so that you know, I'm really building this um this network over in Scotland, so that now I could tell my agent Adam wrote something. He's gonna book me, and I can do a real <laughs> good scottish accent which i'm already that's already wrong because there are so many different accents in scotland but here we are the first time checking in on this first episode of where i am starting (laughs) uh i believe that our producer kathleen has a has a prompt for me so that i know what to say kathleen uh yes uh this this week's uh quote will be coming from the all-time classic film from 2005 wedding date Starring Deborah Messing and Dermot Muloney. Not Dylan McDermott, but Dermot Mulroney. And the quote and the line is, I'd rather fight with you than make love with anyone else.
0: Okay. Wow.
2: Okay. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna like pause and like say it to myself and then say Nope, nope that's bro, not the game. It's not the game. Okay. I'd rather fight me than Make make love with anyone else. Anyone else will go for the long ooh (laughs) Adam is crying.
0: Oh, that was fucking excellent. Oh god, that I felt so
2: confident before listening to the two of you guys speak with Scottish (laughs) actual
0: Scottish accents. I could do it. I've I've absorbed it. I've got osmosis.
3: (laughs) Can I say it's not the worst I've heard? I've heard. I mean, it's not the best i've heard either but it's
0: not <laughs> the worst i've heard oh <laughs> give a one hand take with the oh. other <laughs>
3: well,
2: you know uh i definitely i definitely could have done it better but here we are we're yeah yeah i said we're starting from zero we're starting at zero uh and
0: zero should might... be brigadoon right zero should be brigadoon and then Braveheart? and like 10 10 should be like well scottish <laughs> 10 should be like recognizable as a scottish (laughs) accent yeah (laughs)
3: do you know a really big tip i think is to try to do a specific scottish accent i think where a lot of people such as brigadoon get it really wrong is that they do this mad generic one that doesn't really exist and so it never sounds quite right so like see if you set out to to try and talk glaswegian or dundonian or whatever you'll actually find it a lot easier because you'll have actual Scottish people that you can copy
2: instead of just taking all of the vowel sounds Mm -hmm. and being like
3: (laughs) these all right I can take a note
2: I hear you do better do better
0: (laughs) 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 but you know what you know what well done let's we'll keep checking in we'll keep checking in
2: A hell of a hard time probably narrowing it down to just which three badass glaswegian broads you wanted to talk about
1: mm-hmm.
2: you gave us some range you gave us some nice yeah. like i love uh yeah. i love an eccentric widow i love <laughs> <laughs> i love a six foot four monster of a of a woman who i and i love an entrepreneur so i am I'm satiated.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> I'm and don't forget the centurion ghost.
2: Queer. And dude, I will, I will, he will begin to haunt me and <laughs> in my, in my dreams, in my home. I,
3: I would, I yeah, I, I hope, I hope that for you. I've moved, I'm a little bit closer to, to where he lived than I used to be. So I'm like, fingers crossed, dude, anytime. I
0: just want
2: to see him. Uh...
0: Get the Ouija mm-hmm. board out. me <laughs> <gasps> too,
3: the Ouija Ouija board.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Ouija Ouija board. <gasps> oh there We're gonna make so, so much money! <laughs> oh my yes! god! I like specialized
3: be. a Ouija board for Glaswegian ghosts. W- License, right, I'm in. We're doing let's it. Let's do it. Let's do it.
2: <laughs>
1: No,
0: I... if, you're li- yeah.
2: if you're listening to this <laughs>
3: exactly. if, if you're listening
2: to this you can't take this idea it's ours yeah,
3: yeah. It's, it's patented by, the, by yeah. the time it goes out it'll be patented
1: because
3: yeah because there are I mean that we just scratched the surface of like mad Glaswegian people I would love to be hunted by the Ouija Ouija board the Ouija
2: Ouija board, Ouija, Ouija board. <laughs> yeah because there's isn't there like that square mile that has like the most murders or something in mm-hmm. glasgow
3: yep and actually Mar- marion gilchrist is is one of them that was where i first read about the case of oscar slater uh,
0: see
2: it all comes back to murder
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> all yeah. Comes, yeah exactly well it has to is you know Claire's the guest and yeah. that's what she loves she's
3: into murder <laughs> she's, yeah she's worryingly the... into murder
2: she's the murderer the murder porn claire duffy not the incest porn yeah. duffy. right yes
3: don't get confused
2: very important distinction
3: yeah 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 let's let's not get our porns mixed up well so or
2: since, crimes <laughs> uh so since we know that you go, that you write by cs duffy can you tell our listeners where they can find more information
3: about you and your books and your work I can't. Well, it's pretty simple. Um, it is csduffywriter. dot is um links to yeah pretty much everything I do, including this news book which Rachel also um features in, and as as does Kate Granston in fact. And I've just realised I need to put Maggie in. I've not yet, but she can maybe go into the second. It is going to be a series, so. Oh, that's so cool. It's yeah. I
2: love I love the time travel element because it gives you like the opportunity to play with so many more things and clearly something that you very much love so.
3: Well I mean that, that's kind of where the whole thing came from and it's it's a slightly different time travel than the kind of the basic because my characters, so it's all set in the present and it's characters who accidentally find their way into now which has always fascinated me. I'm not sure, I don't know if it's like a Bill and Ted thing or what it is but I feel as though because like I love like I read all the time travels and um, obviously Doctor Who I adore all of them and it usually is like a modern character who goes back with all this knowledge, um, which is fascinating and great. But I've always been fascinated by like like what would Kate Cranston think walking about modern Glasgow and like seeing all of these female run businesses, you know how would you, what what would a how would a Viking handle today's <laughs> You
0: know, so
3: exactly,
0: stabbing folk with a big sword. <laughs>
3: totally. Well, that's actually one of the the books is going to be about a bunch of murders that are being uh, investigated by Police Scotland and uh, ancient Vikings who are um, human sacrificing around the banks of Govan. I was going to say. I was
2: going to say. I feel like uh, the Vikings would probably approach it or react to it the same way that they seem to react to most things. <laughs>
3: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and with axes, axes do feature. But then, but then this is Glasgow where axes feature. You know, like we're not we're no slouches when it comes to fights. And I've actually got one brawl on like Stucky Hall Street and like the early hours of a Sunday morning, where everyone's just jumping in because they're thinking it's some like themed stag do, and it's a bunch of Vikings like just going riot, and there's just guys just coming up like nutting them and um, holding their own. Because that's the thing. I always feel like if if there was a Viking invasion in Glasgow, like, would we notice, or would we just think it had been like, like a stag do? Sorry, it's a bachelor party. It like, got out of control. I'm not sure. So that that's the question that my book explores. To play devil's
0: advocate <laughs> for a moment, what if we're um, what if we're uh, being you know we're, we're showing a history of Vikings that didn't really exist? What if they were all just lovely guys? They were just well, ran about them, in the wrong way.
3: Well, it's true. I mean, that's it is true that, I mean, yeah, I think some of them were. They,
2: they couldn't they have all been shite back then.
3: No, <laughs> yeah. I don't think they were. I think a lot of them were. I mean, I guess they had different ideas of what was acceptable behaviour at that point. But as individuals, I mean, a lot of them were like. I mean, I'm actually fascinated with the intelligence of Vikings. I mean the fact that they just looked at the north sea and went let's just see what's at the other end of that and yeah. then when they got to the other end and they got to scotland and, and iceland they were like well, let's just keep going like the imagination that that must have taken because people didn't do that they didn't sail beyond the horizon they i mean there's people today who think that the earth is flat and wouldn't sail beyond the horizon And these guys a thousand years ago were like, what's the worst that could happen? Let's go figure it out. So I'm actually kind of in awe. And that's so with this Viking warband who end up living in modern Glasgow, like some of them go nuts with axes and then others get into like yoga and learn English and become, you know, like Scandy dudes doing some of them are kind of Baristas. (laughs) Baristas, exactly.
0: (laughs) like uh you've changed
3: <laughs> uh-huh so it's something that i really want to kind of explore a little bit because in some ways i, I guess seeing you know, like as i started off explaining i've been an outsider i've been the immigrant in a lot of different countries you know since i was eight we moved to to france and so that idea of like integrating versus staying true to yourself you know things that are like i just think are fine like, I, you know for my first two years in Sweden, I just went around like insulting people, because there's certain like social contracts or social mores that just seem completely normal to me, but was was not for them. So it's something that I just find really fascinating. And with this book, I kind of want to do that. But instead of different sort of cultures, geographic I mean, some of them are, but it's also things that are okay to a character who comes from the 1800s. Can we judge them by the same standards that we would judge somebody? today but then it becomes moral relativity and like where does that line cross Like, do we do we allow the vikings to sacrifice humans because that seems normal to them i mean no but like how do you it's not the same as a modern person deciding to drain somebody and hang them from a tree right Mm. or is it well so yeah
0: i mean time traveling i have i've i always kind of doth my cap to writers who approach time traveling stories sci-fi
2: and fantasy in general because it's like you have you 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 have two choices you can either create and explain very specific rules and then be very good at not breaking them yourself later down the road Mm -hmm. or you can just kind of like talk around the like i kind of i kind of respect whenever the book is like yeah and we can uh we can we re- all read each other's minds. We're not gonna explain how. It's a, there's a gadget. Yes,
1: we're not gonna it's get just into a it. Thing or that like, we
2: do. Yeah, or mm-hmm. like there there was like a genetic split thing that happened like centuries ago. That's just the way it is now. I kind of like respect <laughs> whenever they're it. like just like, like this is it and this is how it works, but we're not gonna explain to you like how we got here. This is just <laughs> the world this is the world of the play that we live in. Accept it, immerse yourself, move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Which I think is sometimes better for the story. Like I read a few that they spend so much time explaining all the mechanics of, how, and I'm like, like science just goes in one eye and at the other, I'm just like, no idea. Yeah. Like, Whereas did- if you just say <sighs> exactly, yeah, like, and you need a certain amount of, you know, like logic, and you need to not break your own rules, and and yes, it is exhausting, it is terrifying because every once a while I'm like oh I said they couldn't do that but I now really need them to do that so do I go back and change <laughs> it or do I so it's a kind of, it's a really fascinating thing because obviously this is my first time trying to work with fantasy and I'm used to certain you know, like I guess with crime threat like I wouldn't say it's not easy by any means and it's not uh-huh. like but there's a certain sort of like structure that's just there a it's the actual world obviously the police procedure notwithstanding which I do make up but generally speaking it is the actual world so there are the same rules of physics that we all live in and somebody gets murdered and we have to figure out who did it and catch them and that's fundamentally every crime thriller right and that doesn't make it you know like formulaic or anything like that because there's a million different ways of doing it but you can always sort of like find yourself in the plot because it's like well how close or far are we to catching this killer are they ahead of us because they're killing more people or are we starting to catch so there's a certain structure that you're kind of within which i'm realizing now is quite comforting and then when you go into fantasy it's like what <laughs> because <laughs> anything could happen and i kind of have for the first book they are after a murderer which is because as the murder it's me but i think it's also me like trying to get like a little bit of a comfort zone because i'm like well at least i know if they're trying to catch a killer even if magic's happening and like one of you know, Mary Queen of Scots ladies in waiting has gone nuts and is after them. And like, there's all this other stuff happening. They still need to catch the killer. So that's like my one thing that's sort of keeping me sane at the moment. But I'm not I don't know if I've been successful in it or not, because like, it's just finished, and it's just coming out in a few weeks. So it's terrifying, but yeah. also brilliant. Hopefully. Oh, it's not boring, I know that And there's yeah. some viking sex in it So Why? how bad could it be? So no yeah. we, <laughs> no we need Oh it's horrifying And I've also developed this really bad habit Of drunkenly reading those scenes Out to friends in the pub So that I can get myself used to the fact That humans know That I know about that stuff because I've already warned my mother she can't read it. Oh, yeah. But you have That's... to have a little bit of that in fantasy, I think. And when there's hot Vikings, it's just, it has to be done. It just happened. So
2: you didn't, yeah. you didn't, you you just wrote what was happening. You were just. Exactly.
3: I just the wrote what's go. inevitably going to happen when yeah. there are Vikings rampaging around. And yeah. So, yeah. So, just a warning if you've ever seen me in the pub, I'm probably going to be reading really explicit sex scenes loudly and drunkenly. <laughs> and wondering why I'm not invited out again. You know okay. what? People
2: have worse uh, pub habits than that.
0: So you could be, you could
2: be doing <laughs> yeah. a lot worse.
3: Yeah. And what pub is it gravel. you
0: do this in so we can <laughs> avoid it? <laughs> the,
2: the book is called Before Again, and you can, I don't know when this episode's coming out, so you can pre-order it or it'll already be out. And it's being released, like you're serializing it on your website right now.
3: Right? I am. Yes. Yeah. Um. It's going to be released. i I think the end of July probably is Excellent. when it's going to come out. Um. But yeah. But it's already being serialized. So you can like sign up and just get sort of, chapters for free every day.
1: That's
0: if amazing. you're into
3: Viking <laughs> sex, or you can just follow me around the pub and hear me read it. Talking as... about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, w- w- if you
2: want people to follow you on social media, where can they do so?
3: Um. So I am at C.S. Duffy Writer. Um, But yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the same. Uh, We at Under the Kilt
2: are at Under the Kilt Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. So you can follow us there. Do we have, is is there anything else we have to cover?
0: I don't think so. I just want to do a massive thank you to Claire for coming on. Thank you so much. This is our first episode and you're our first guest and it's been incredibly interesting. Thank you so much.
3: You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. You gave us history.
0: You gave us
2: sex. You gave us Mm -hmm. ghosts. Like, I mean, sexy ghosts. ghosts, Hard, Mm -hmm. hard, hard guest to top already.
0: (laughs) I know.
3: Excellent.
0: And tea and cake. So.
3: And tea and cake, (laughs) which is, and you can do all that at the same time. Have tea and cake with a sexy ghost. I'm just saying.
2: I have plan- I have weekend plans now. Until next time, Adam, do you want to close us out?
0: Yes. Until next time, from us at Under the Kilt, stay breezy. This episode of Under the Kilt was produced by Kathleen Mueller-Mason and edited by Natalie Younger. Original theme by Tyler Collins, a.k.a. Two-Metre Man. Additional music by Gareth Spin. Original art by Sarah Cruz. Thank you again to our lovely guest, Claire Duffy, and to the girls at Shared History. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.